Tuesday, 14 August, 12.14am. Freezing air slices my lungs every time I breathe. I walk to the other side of the tunnel in an attempt to shift blood into my numb feet. I peer into its black depths. I assume it's just a long stretch of concrete and rubbish, shelter for rats and mice, that eventually merges with other concrete passages running underneath unsuspecting roads and buildings. Faded graffiti hugs the curved wall. The colourful scrawls harshly exposed by a mobile spotlight and fresh police tape across the entrance is taut, barely shaking in the breeze. The nearby asphalt path is slick with recent rain. High above, a plump moon peers down at the blunt edges of the city. As the white puffs exit my mouth, I think about how much grittier the crime scenes always seem here than they did in Smithson. So much more sinister somehow. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi there, my name is Angus from Good Reading Magazine and I'm joined today by Melbourne crime fiction author Sarah Bailey who has just released her second book called Into the Night. Welcome Sarah. Thank you for having me. And happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. I know it's a bit weird, book birthday and real birthday. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, birthdays are sort of important to you in your writing career because didn't you for the first book have a bit of a goal that you were going to publish a book by your 35th birthday? Is that right? Yeah, I did. I I thought it would be a good milestone to sort of aim for. So last year ended up um, being my my birthday one day uh, one day after. They published the first book, so just missed out. Oh, no, it's still, <laughs> but close. still poetic. <laughs> it was yeah, close. close enough to be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what drove you to set yourself that challenge? I think I had toyed with the idea of writing a book on and off since I was about 20. And it was just one of those things that because it's such a big task, I guess it's hard to be um, maintaining momentum when you've got other stuff going on in your life. So I sort of got to the point where I figured that if I didn't set myself a goal and then work out how to kind of achieve it sort of from, you know, working backwards, then no one else was going to do it for me. So, um, yeah, I just kind of worked out that seemed like a good milestone. And then I sort of tried to get words down between that time. So that debut novel was called The Dark Lake. And in that, we've got a beautiful young teacher who was found dead floating at the edge of the lake in Smithson, which is a fictional regional town in New South Wales. Detective Gemma Woodstock takes on the case and it turns out she knows the victim or knew the victim because they went to high school together. That book's been out for a year now. What has the reaction been having that debut out there? Uh, I mean, it's just the whole year's been pretty surreal. So um, I was so excited to finish the draft to start with and then to get an agent seemed pretty crazy. And then she seemed to think that we had a good chance of um, finding a publisher for it. And then we we did. Um, So... Yeah, from from that whole sort of process, right from finishing the draft to now having a second book seems kind of crazy and unbelievable. Um, but it's been really nice having people give feedback on the first book. Um, I get lots of emails and I you know meet lots of people now that have read it, and so it's it's really it's really nice. I think the writing part's so um, isolated, so then kind of getting out of that phase and then going into the world and, and then having feedback from people is is a really important kind of part of closing the loop on a book, I think. 
through yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was stalking your Twitter and it looks like because <laughs> um, you've obviously had so many fantastic, great reviews for The Dark Lake, both um, in Australia and over in the US. And it looks like some of the only rare negative feedback has revolved around someone critiquing the execution of your signature on one of your <laughs> books. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I did have a, a funny email about um, someone not liking the quality of my signature, which was, um, I was happy to take that on board. I'll try and be better with that going forward in the future. Um, but yeah, no, the reviews have been really, really nice and, um, really thoughtful. Like I really respect people that, um, sit down and, and work out how to construct a review about a book that's really measured and considered. It's, it's sort of, um, I really sort of, you know, appreciate the time that someone puts into that. Um, I do get a bit of feedback that's uh, negative around, um, the character of Gemma, which, um, I kind of think's not a bad thing either, because I think if people are feeling any kind of reaction to a character, it's kind of good, especially, you know, fictional character, you're eliciting a response. I think that's positive. Um, but yeah, she's not everyone's cup of tea. So, um, yeah, I kind of find that an interesting, an interesting part of creating a character, I guess. For people who haven't read The Dark Lake or Into the Night, who is Gemma Woodstock and why wouldn't she be a lot of people's <laughs> cup of tea? Um, so Gemma is a young, um, quite ambitious detective, um, very precocious. She's doing really well for her age. In the first book, she's only 28. So she's, she's done well to kind of climb up the ranks of her local regional squad. Um, but yeah, she is... Uh, when the book opens, she's at a point in her life where there's quite a lot going on. So professionally, she's doing well, but personally, uh, she's not in a great relationship. She's juggling being a mother with, um, I guess, some guilt she feels about what she wants to be doing with her life. So yeah, she's sort of um, challenging a lot of the more traditional female stereotypes and roles. And um, I guess because you're in her headspace being first person, you really delve into that. So I think um, yeah, a lot of people kind of yeah, don't find that sort of the kind of character that they like. She can be pretty sort of um, uh, blunt and also a bit abrasive. So, yeah, I mean, I love writing her, but um, I can sort of certainly see what some of the sort of feedback is about. It makes sense to me. That sort of reminds me of a blog post you wrote for Alan and Unwin's blog, Things Made From Letters, about an exercise you did with your sons for International Women's Day. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, so Alan and Amun were doing a little series on um, International Women's Day and kind of looking at the different, um, I guess, expectations and, you know, society's sort of um, roles for women and how they're perceived and what change is needed. So I did a little piece about women in the workforce with a looking, look at sort of police, the police force in particular. Um, and I've done a little bit of research, obviously, in that space. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was about asking my kids to draw a police officer um, kind of suspecting that they would both draw police men, which they did. Um, and then when I challenged them kind of on that, you know, I guess it's just that, that, that thought process that you witness is interesting because they, they do know that people who are female can be police officers, but it's not their go-to. And I think that's a lot of how we need to shift the conversation in society. It's not that it's necessarily always outright discrimination. It's just that initial go-to assumption that we make um, that can often be restricting people or um, putting people um, on the back foot when it comes to opportunities. Yeah, and I feel like with Gemma being now in a big city in Melbourne, working with a new team, working with her male colleagues and the sort of everyday sexism that obviously happens in the police force and elsewhere, with her experiences with that, 
are you transposing any sort of experiences that you've had with the sort of everyday sexism in the workforce or is it based more based off conversations you've had with real police officers who are women? Uh, it's, it's a bit of both. I've, I've never had an incident that um, has been particularly upsetting to me. I've worked in advertising for 15 years and have generally been really sort of supported and I feel like I've been given really amazing opportunities in that, in that um, career. Um, but, you know, I think it is just that, that unconscious bias that's often referred to where perhaps people, there's an assumption about what people might want and don't want, particularly once they've had a family. So um, I do think that we've got a long way to go structurally to make sure that it's an even playing ground for everybody and also that we're not um, having a situation where men feel like they can't be the family-oriented part of the partnership or they might not want to have kids. They might want to do something completely different with their spare time that's also sort of not valued. So I think it's not always about family. It often is. But um, for everybody's sake, I think it just needs to be a little bit more even. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, you've taken your character out of Smithson, which is, I think, a 25,000 population. It's quite small. Put her in Melbourne. Mm. Um, what was that like and how has that impacted her character? Yeah, I made the decision to do that without it being particularly strategic. It felt just really instinctively right that she would leave um, after the first book. Um, it, it sort of, to me, felt like the step that she needed to take to sort of progress forward. Um, so it wasn't sort of a deliberate move to expose her to a new environment or anything particularly. It just felt like the most natural way for her to move forward in her life. Um, but it did provide a lot of really interesting new texture, I suppose, um, to her crime scene um, homicide investigations. I think there is a difference between city and country. So I think it was all sort of about her adjusting to this new world, being kind of on her own um, and then trying to develop kind of as a person. So, yeah, I loved it. I loved writing um, about a non-fictional town, like a real town. I, I really enjoyed um, spending time in my hometown and kind of rediscovering it again and trying to think how it would look to someone who's never been there before and who is used to a regional environment. So, uh, yeah, it was great. I really, I really liked kind of the contrast between the two books for me it was, it was fun to write, but I think it was also, you know, it was a good transition to make and allowed a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Cause you've lived in Melbourne all your life, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Have. yeah. And because you were so much more familiar with the setting, was it sort of weird to be scattering bodies in the streets <laughs> and everything that you were more familiar with? A little bit. Um, I think particularly when I was first drafting it, I would sort of walk past where some of the scenes are set and think, my goodness, like you can kind of see it playing out in front of you, which is probably good, you know, <laughs> that helps obviously. But um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was helpful to write it that way. Um, but it was also a little bit uh, surreal. And, um, you know, there's a few scenes kind of in the casino and around some of the main streets and Federation Square. And it, I liked it. I liked being able to kind of actually go to the places but equally, I really enjoyed creating Smithson as well, and that was completely fictional. And um, I, I can still see parts of that town, even though they don't exist. So I guess whether it's real or not, it, it, you're still creating it to sort of suit your purpose. So I suppose it's sort of the same process in a way. So can you tell me about the main crime or murder event that kicks off into the night? Sure. So there's there's actually a couple of murders in this uh, book. Good. So I guess the, the main... Um, 
homicide is the uh, murder or the attack on a celebrity, uh, Sterling Wade, who is sort of like a up-and-coming movie star. He's sort of like a Neighbours or a Home and Away star that's transitioning into film and he's sort of being touted as the next big thing. So he's kind of a big deal. And he is attacked in uh, broad daylight in the middle of a film set, a zombie apocalypse film, which I was worried when I first thought about this storyline that it would get a little bit uh, cheesy and kind of crazy, trashy maybe, but I hope that it has avoided that. But I really liked the, I liked the fact that it felt like a really city crime. It felt like something that could never have happened in her small hometown. So it really kind of brought that to the fore. It was kind of like, you're in the city now, you're dealing with this big, big time, big high profile case, thrust her right into that media spotlight um, and that kind of um, sense of scale. Uh, and I also just thought it was interesting to have a crime that, that had lots and lots of witnesses because I think we are sort of seeing that a bit more, I guess, in the real world um, with some of the terrorist type attacks. And it's obviously not at all a terrorist um, kind of incident, but that, that sort of witnessed by many sense of things is, I feel, quite, quite dramatic and interesting to, to explore. Um, but there's, a, there's another sort of murder as well which kicks off the book right at the start, which is that of a homeless person. And so I really liked the juxtaposition between someone super, super famous that everybody knows or th- thinks they know and then that of someone that no one knows and then the value, I guess, of life and how that plays out, I guess, for me was interesting to sort of explore and um, compare. And it was a news article that sort of sparked the idea or at least planted a seed of the idea of this whole movie set disaster, right? Yeah, I I had thought about uh, like a high-profile celebrity murder to coincide with her move to the city, but I hadn't worked out how it would play out. And then there was a, um, I think there was actually an anniversary of the Brandon Lee Crow movie set incident and I was reading about that and thinking, oh, that's that's a really interesting kind of complicated, um, you know, scenario. What happened with that incident? There was an accident on set and I think, yeah, he was killed in filming. So there was lots of people around. And, and I sort of thought, oh, that's sort of, if that was actually murder, you know, that would be quite um, kind of a good way to hide in plain sight and cover something up. And maybe people wouldn't realise straight away that it wasn't an accident and how would that play out? So that's sort of where it started. And then... There was actually an incident, um, I can't remember where, I think it was in Queensland on the set of a music video uh, last year where someone was shot on set and I sort of thought, my goodness, like it's a sign that that's a good idea, horrible incident. But um, yeah, so I sort of started from there and then it, it, it really worked well with the cast that I had in mind and the comparison to the homeless death. So it sort of all just started to gel together and I, and I thought it was a bit different. I just hadn't heard of another book that had a similar homicide. So, yeah, you always want to have something that's a little bit different. As you say, the crime in The Dark Lake and the crime in Into the Night are so different. But in a way, they're a little bit similar because in The Dark Lake, you've got this lake and it's central to the town and there's people jogging in the morning and kids playing at its edges during the day and teenagers sneaking there to drink at night time. And that's what makes that book so or the crime in that book so sinister, I think, in that it's such a, a community hub and then you've got this dead woman in there. And then in Into the Night, 
you've got, again, almost like this crime on display for everyone to see. So would you say that you're sort of interested in crimes that do play out in that big way with a big audience? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't, it's hard to say the word interested because it sounds sort of um, slightly disrespectful, but I am fascinated, I guess, by the way people have a relationship with crimes. I, I do think it is an interesting part of our psychology that we almost take a bit of an ownership stake in some crimes. So if something happens in your neck of the woods, you tend to become a bit of an authority on it and you're more likely to be sort of interested in it and telling friends about it. Um, And, you know, people are interested in bad things because I think partly maybe it's a bit protective, partly it is just out of the ordinary um, and your imagination runs wild. So you do the whole, what if it was me? What if it was me? What if it was me? But I think with the celebrity element as well, um, there's an ev- there's an even bigger sense of ownership because we own the our celebrities, so we sort of tend to own their deaths as well. Um, and I mean, even with the royal wedding recently, you sort of see that everyone feels like they're part of that kind of event. And I don't think it's different with a death in a way. So I just like I like the sort of the relationship people have with crime. You're, you're very right. Like in the first book, it was very much the whole town sort of felt it and was interested in it because it happened in the middle of their of their kind of place. Um, this is different, but there's elements that are similar as well where people sort of want to say, where were you when you found out and what do you think happened? And it sort of quickly moves from just the crime itself to kind of more of a personal relationship with how you've responded to it. So I, I find all of that really interesting. Yeah. Were you always going to write crime because of those interests? Well, I don't know. Like, I I mean, I'm not, I don't have any kind of background in crime in any capacity. Like I worked in advertising, so it's pretty unrelated. Not a criminal. <laughs> not a criminal. Good. <laughs> pretty unrelated. And um, I don't really have sort of anything in my past that, you know, has prompted it. Nothing terrible, thank goodness, has ever happened to me or sort of my immediate group. Um, but I do, f- I just think the psychological aspects of crime are really interesting. So when I look back at all of the stories that I've ever drafted or attempted to write, most of them did have a mystery or crime element. And it's probably the genre that I enjoy reading the most. I read pretty broadly, but crime is definitely my kind of go-to guaranteed, you know, good read. So yeah, I, I just think it brings out lots of opportunities to explore things within a really um, familiar and reliable structure that I think people like to like to consume. Yeah, and it's interesting with your books as well because Gemma's story is what drives it, I feel, in some ways even more than the crime events in a way. Because everyone says this, and I completely agree with it, she feels so real. <laughs> like everything about her, everything about her narration and what she does and what she's dealing with feels really, really relatable and real. Was she always relatable and real to you? Yeah, I'm really glad that you say that. I mean, I think that's it's really nice to hear that you feel like she is so real. It definitely was my intention to have her drive the story. It's hard when you write a book. Like it, it, In retrospect, you can sort of say you were strategic, but I think often you just write it. Um, but I definitely, in all of my drafting and editing, I guess it's pretty clear that her character is very important. So it's obviously something that my brain just wants to make sure is sort of high profile in the story. I agree with you. She's, she's the story. 
the cases you could assign to anybody. So they're not necessarily, particularly in the second book, the first one not so much because it was sort of so linked to her. Um, but, yeah, she her character for me is, is the, the crux of the whole series. Um, but often trying to find something that's a case that's sort of going to help that character development story is, is important. So I think with these city cases, the arc that she needs to go on, they don't mirror the cases that she's working on, but there's elements of them that allow her to explore her own personal kind of problems and challenges um, while she's solving the cases. So they do kind of link together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so you, as you've said, you're a very wide reader. What's been impressing you lately? Uh, I read a lot. Um, I've just read a an advanced copy of a book called Scrublands that Alan and Unwin are publishing later on this year, which is amazing. It is a beast of a book and it is going to be very, very successful. I think it's it was kept me up literally all night. It was awesome. Um, but I mean, I, I read I read all of Michael Robotham's books. I think he's amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Kate Atkinson book, which I haven't yet read, but I'm really keen to read because I think she's incredibly talented as well. Um, what else have I read? Lots of things. Um, I've just recently read Little Gods, which is more of a coming of age um, literary fiction story, which is really good. Um, Anna Snookstra's Little Secrets was one of my favourite reads last year. It's just really quirky kind of crime. So yeah, lots like lots of books, but um, I'm actually rereading Rebecca right now. So oh, okay, nice. Just, yeah, I, I kind of got to the point where I couldn't remember it, so I thought I'd best reread it. Um, yeah, so lots of things. Like I, I kind of do read pretty broadly, but I always have a crime kind of book in the mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I also remember in the blog post that we mentioned on Alan and Unwin's blog, you mentioned that part of the way that you sort of want to rectify some of the gender stereotypes that are being passed on to your sons is to read them books with really, you know, amazing female characters at the foreground. Yeah. Are there any books that you plan to read them or you're reading them now to to do that, that have those strong female characters? Yeah. I mean, yeah, my youngest is probably a bit younger too young, sorry. Um, but my oldest son, who's turning nine this year, he is definitely able to read sort of quite um, complicated books now. Um, so, I mean, Harry Potter is a pretty obvious one because Hermione is kind of really the star of that series. So Absolutely. that, that works well. right out of my mouth. Yep. <laughs> she really drives it all forward. So I think that's not a bad one. And he's reading that with my mum right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's lots of books out there that have strong... Um, female girl leads for young kids. Um, but I think it's also TV shows and stuff too that you just want to make sure that it's – you don't want it to be a big deal. I think it's just about the mix. So he's reading Wonder at the moment as well, which has got a sort of a male you know, protagonist, which is great and fine. So I, I don't want it to be like a complete kind of wash of only female characters. I think it's it's got to be both. But you just don't want it – you don't really want them thinking so much about it. I guess that's what I'm – that's what I would aim for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I've asked everything I wanted to. <laughs> Thank you so much for stopping by. Into the Night is just as fantastic as The Dark Lake, as far as I can tell so far. So good luck with everything. I hope it goes really well. Thank you so much for having me.